Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. This episode of Preacher Boys is brought to you by the Good Story Podcast. On the Good Story Podcast, I have inspiring, thought-provoking discussions with content creators, brand experts, and artists who offer a peek behind the curtain at their unique storytelling process. You can find the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy listening to podcasts. Plus, don't forget to join the conversation on social by simply searching for the handle at Good Story Pod. And now, back to your show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. Hey, what's up, guys? My name is Eric Skwarzynski. I am the host of the Preach Boys podcast. Today, I sit down with Amanda Packard. I really appreciate Amanda coming on the show. We talk about uh, so many important topics. Uh, Amanda shares very openly about uh, her domestic abuse situation with her husband and really sadly shares uh, how when she divorced her abuser, she felt like she had to divorce her church as well. And so we get into some of that there. She shares uh, about a pretty insane incident that she deems the, quote, King Kong incident. Uh, and that's uh, somewhat funny, but also very sad story uh, that she shares as well. And so there's a lot in this uh, episode. She offers a ton of value. And I think for those who are trying to help people who are victims of domestic violence, or whether you're a victim of domestic violence yourself, uh, this episode's going to be very therapeutic and helpful for all of you. And I know it was for me. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and jump into an interview with Amanda. All right, Amanda, thank you so much for joining me on an episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. Can you just really quick, I know I gave some of this information in your intro, but can you tell our guests a little bit about yourself and how you were introduced to the independent Baptist movement? Yes, um, it was several years ago. Let's see, if I think back on the timeline, I was probably in my early 30s and um, was newly married. I had uh, three children, um, two of which were twins I had from a previous relationship. But um, I was married to my husband. We were, um, it was somewhat of a volatile um, drug uh lots of heavy drugs and alcohol use on his part. And um, of course, that 
led into domestic violence and, and things that were um, not very good for us as a whole. And um, it had gotten so bad to the point of I really just wanted to not be here anymore. And I remember um, praying one night, you know, God, if you're there and you care and you care what happens to us, you're going to have to do something. You'll have to send somebody here because I can't, you know, I, I can't fix this. I can't do anything about this. Right. And at the time, my husband was removed from the home uh, and had a protection order. So we were in the process of trying to reconcile that, you know, with domestic violence. It's very hard to leave and stay gone. It's it's right. a lot of it is a cycle and you go back and you go back and there's so many different complex reasons for that as I've learned through my years. But it was very interesting that on the very day that he was permitted to come back into the home, we had a couple of soul winners knock on our door and um, came in and you know, explain the gospel to us. This was in Nicholasville, Kentucky, which is right outside of Lexington. We heard the gospel that day. We were at a very vulnerable point in our family life, um, in the marriage and everything. He, my ex-husband at the time, my husband at the time just accepted Christ as a savior. And, you know, I'm thinking, well, it's interesting. I prayed this prayer and these people are at our door and this, look what just happened. And so, we just kind of decided to take a, you know, jump of faith and leap of faith and start attending this place. Um, what was interesting is he was able to put down um, alcohol, which I had seen many times previously, had watched him try to quit and just over and over and over. And he, he could not put it down. And after his um, salvation, it was like he was just able to put it down and leave it. Um, this to me was a miracle, and I just felt very overwhelmed and, with gratitude and just thinking, oh, this is our answer. This is going to be what saves us, you know. So, right, right out of the gate, I was going ho. Well, whatever this church says, you know, I want to listen. I want to take in as much as I can. You know, I, it, this meant the world to me. You know, this was my family. So, um, we were very, very excited at first and just, um, I don't know, just attending, you know, it was real big. We had attendance was just really pushed on us, you know, if you're here, you're not out there. And you're, if you're here, you're hearing good things. And, you know, we were getting a lot of um, just people from the church walking alongside of us, a lot of visits. Um, and, of course, they knew our history and things. Um, so we really felt supported and we really felt loved and cared about. So that is really um, what convinced me to really just full charge, you know, full speed ahead, go into this ministry and, and see what they're all about and learn everything that they have to teach me. So we were members there. Um, We became members and we were there total span of about 10 years. 
Okay. Yeah, that was so, one of the most um, questions how long that that experience was. And and how long did this period of you know, I typically ask guests, you know, what what the experience was like at the height of their involvement and when they were at the height of their, you know, buy-in with the organization. And was it that full ten years where you felt like you both were completely bought in or did this is this something that faded away like did that kind of honeymoon period fade away really fast and then you found yourself stuck in it for several years? Like what was that experience and kind of what was the first thing where you thought, oh, something's not quite right here? Sure. Well, we were, we, you know, I think coming in and the testimony of delivering him from alcohol was so powerful Right. That we were kind of brought in, and I felt like we were just the darlings of the church. And um, there were maybe, I don't know, roughly 150 members total at that time. And, you know, this, they had just begun their soul winning program, and we were kind of like the, I don't know, we were just the model of look what can happen. Families can be saved if you go out soul winning and look at how these lives are being changed and turned around. And that, of course, just kept us coming back and kept us, oh, you know, we felt like we were very cared about and loved and um, like people really wanted to invest in us. Our time there, personally for me, I can't speak for everyone in my family, but my time there, I liken it to kind of like the cycle of abuse you said the honeymoon period and that's exactly looking back that's exactly what it was it started out small with seeing small things that I'm like what you know just didn't quite click with me or kind of felt a little odd to me and you know it was all the good example of of what that what those things were like as far as like what some of those things that you say it started small. I'm just curious yeah, what that well, was. Sure. Well, just with, with what, when I say small things, I'm like, well, at first, of course, the women you're, you're slapped with the dress code right off the bat, which, right. okay, I'll take that. That's fine. You know, I, yeah, well, let's, let's just do this. Let's just go full force. But I think the first thing that really caused me to question because it was just kind of told to us without much of an explanation this is just what you do this is ungodly was about our music you know we had this huge music collection we had the you know the big day where we just took everything and smashed it of course you couldn't Mm. sell it you you don't want other people to stumble you don't want other people to fall and that was a little much for me I, I'm very creative. I'm an artist at heart. I, okay. I do a lot of music and art and, you know, I, you know, but again, it was the pull of, but look what they did. Look what happened. Look, you know, and I attributed a lot of my husband at the time, his recovery. I, I attributed a lot of that to them, to the work that they were doing, to the work that they were investing in us. And so I felt with every pull that I had that was a little seed of doubt, I felt very indebted to them. Right. And, well, I'm just going to keep going. We're just going to keep doing this. Um, and then the next, you know, I guess the next thing that really started to become prominent to me 
was just isolation from unsaved family members. And it's, you know, how we shouldn't do this and we shouldn't do that. Well, being in the abusive relationship that I was in, you know, that's kind of part of domestic violence is isolating, you know, your victims from their own family. And so this kind of perpetuated that idea in our home and it was strictly, it was, it was enforced, you know, pretty heavily. And, you know, I didn't get to see my parents much anymore and I didn't get you know my brother and my sister and it was you know he didn't really associate with his family so that was a non-issue and so you know then we go to church and it's like you know outside of witnessing to them and and just praying over them and praying for them you you really don't need to be unequally yoked with with people and really feeling like I needed to abandon any relationships that I had left at that time, you know, because what had happened was, is our, our home was delivered from alcohol. It was not delivered from abuse and it, it took a while to even for the drugs to, to be removed, but the, the abuse part never went away. Hmm. So these ideas and these teachings, especially, especially being as patriarchal as they are, were just, you know, streamlined right into the home because they fit the agenda of what he wanted in the home. It really, you know, started there and it just grew and grew and, you know, started to get to a point where we were all, I was, I was always being made to feel like I wasn't giving enough of myself, so I need to give more. I need to do more. Well, maybe it's not working because I'm not doing enough. I'm not surrendered enough. Right. You know, and I'm sure so many people who've experienced a place like this, it ended up coming to a point where I was there seven days a week, every day. And I was doing something Every day, you know, our children were taken into the school. We didn't have money, couldn't really afford to have them there. So I work at the school. I I taught art classes there for a short time. I worked in the cafeteria. I did all kinds of odd jobs. Um, and through all of this, they just they began to discover that I had some abilities with artwork and things like that. So. I started to use that a little more and, you know, look here, let's do this over here. Let's do this. Oh, here comes a play. Let's do the scenery here. And the pastor of the church at that time um, was associated with the sword of the Lord um, and um, was wanting to publish some vacation Bible school things. And he knew of my abilities. So now I'm working on curriculum and, you know, just typing it all out, doing all the layout. And all, doing for, all, the all for free, I'm assuming. All for free. If I, you know, if I dared to ask, you know, for any, and, and, and not, not just that, but i also never had my name on anything, you know, that, you know, here I am spending hours and hours and hours on this stuff. So then it began to feel like, okay, I, I, this is not, this, this, something is, this just isn't, this is making me unhappy. This is not 
helping. I'm still dealing with these issues at home. Right. You know, I'm giving all that I can here. Why is my home life still, still so terrible? And, you know, I just, again, you go back to that deliverance from alcohol was so powerful. Right. And it's, there's a big difference between, you know, coming home to a drunk, violent person and coming home to, you know, something a little more peaceful than that. The, the, it just, it was a big pull for me. And so I trudged on, I kept on, you know, we, I would call, there would be nights when it would start to become violent between he and I, and just out of desperation of not having family members to talk to, or, you know, not feeling like I could talk to them. They, they never um, shut me out, by the way. I just want to say that they always had their arms open to me. This was my decision. And, you know, I just uh, felt like I couldn't talk to them because they would just try to lure me away from the church. who would help me so much. So I would call the pastor, you know, and it would be something really nasty happens of, you know, an act of physical violence or something. And I would call the pastor thinking, you know, because the pastor is, he's, He's, he's your shepherd. God. <laughs> he's your protector. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's, yeah, sure. And over and over <clears throat> and over and many, many, many phone calls and many, many times sitting in the office. It always circled back around to, Amanda, are you praying enough? Are right. you praying for him enough? What are you doing? You need to examine your life. What are you doing that's provoking him to this anger? into this wrath it was never i'm sorry and i don't mean to i don't mean to interrupt you but but it's something you you mentioned earlier of not feeling even in the church feeling like maybe it's me maybe i need to show that i'm more bought in maybe i need to show that i'm like that i love it here more that i can do more i can serve more and Mm -hmm. it's just interesting the way the church relationship and the home abusive relationship mirrored each other especially in that there's so many victims of domestic violence where the reason that they stay in these awful relationships is because they feel like they're not doing something right. And that if they can learn how to be a better wife or in the case of the church, that they can be a better member, then all of a sudden it's going to switch. And the thing is, is that it's never going to switch if that's the person you're dealing with, because it's just going to, it's just going to keep increasing the expectations and increasing. You're never going to reach this point where it's like, oh, that's what I was looking for. And so yeah. I, I just think it's interesting that your relationship with the church and with your husband seems so similar. And yeah. it's obvious that the church environment that you were in was fueling his mindset already, which is, right. which is just unfortunate because that's the last place that should be fueling an abuser as a church. But. Yes, and and I I I really believed, you know, I bought into um, believing that because I was a woman, you know, I'm a woman, I'm a second class citizen. I my purpose here is to serve him, and right. that is what I'm called to do. And if I'm not doing it properly if I'm messing something up of course we're going to have these problems you know and it took a long time 
for me to recognize that as the toxic thing that it was. And, um, you know, just years and years and years of, of having two trains of thought in my mind, you know, always thinking, what would it be like, you know, if I just broke free and, and, and tried to do something about this, but I felt so, I was so afraid. And number one, you know, as we all quote, air quotes here, no, God hates divorce. And, you know, um, it's just not an option. What would I do? I hadn't had a job, hadn't held a job in 10 years. I had three children who had been in the Christian school for years at this time. You know, our, our daughter, she was raised in the Christian school. I'm like, well, she, she, how could she even survive if I took her out of here? What would happen? You know, you're in the bubble. You're taught to believe right. that inside of the bubble is the only safe place to be. And, you know, that's, that's a hard thing to wrestle with. And I, and I did, I wrestled with it for years. So it uh, actually just kind of came to a point where um, the violence uh, and threats, the threatening atmosphere at home was becoming so dangerous that I really felt like if we didn't leave, we we could possibly not live to see another day. Um, Wow. Wow. And I, I felt the last night that actually that we were all in the house together. I I honestly did not think we were going to live through the night. Um, He had gotten back into an opioid addiction. He had been, he was a door to door salesman. Um, Well, he was, he was a door to door salesman, but he had also went through the church quote unquote Bible college and had, graduated there and was, you know, we were going through all of that. So he, he had this degree and he was, it was just puffing up that ego even more and somehow ended up back in his addiction where he was um, selling vacuums and was targeting the elderly people in our church and would go to their home, do a show, steal opioids from their bathroom Mm. and that became a a thing that was a thing that was going on and this was kind of like the beginning of the end for me um he ended up uh he was very he became very ill one day He he got real sick um couldn't even walk through the house was acting very bizarre Mm -hmm. sweating and I, i thought maybe he was having a stroke and in the back of my mind, wondering, could this be what I think it is? You know, another lapse back into the drugs or whatever. So, you know, of course, I went back to the pastor and, hey, this this happened the other night. He's acting weird. I'm I'm really, well, it's the funny funniest thing, Amanda. Sit down and let me tell you what happened. So well, what happened? He said, well, the devil, he's just, you know how bad the devil is and how the devil wants to keep God's man down and blah, 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 saying all this stuff. I said, what happened? He said, well, somebody who drives a car just like your husband, who happens to even look like your husband, <laughs> and this is the funniest thing. You're just going to think this is so funny, Amanda. <laughs> He's like just tried to fill a, uh opioid prescription at a pharmacy. And mm-hmm. 
ended up having the police called on him. And, you know, it was this big, huge story that I knew nothing about. Right. The, the people in the church, there were people at church that knew about it. I didn't even know about it. I, I had no clue this was even going on in my home. And right. so I just enraged. Just, I, it, I'm just like, I wasn't, I wasn't at a point to be enraged at them yet. So I left, tried to compose myself, you know, came back, um, ended up being in the car with him one day and we're driving home from Lowe's or something. He drives in the middle, he drives past our house, which was odd, drives into the middle of the neighborhood, gets out of the car, hands me his wallet and says, here, make sure all the bills are paid. And I'm like, what are you talking about? What is going on here? And he said, well, there was a cop parked across the street from the house. If if he comes to the door, there's some pills in the top drawer, blah, blah, blah. Just go flush them and, and just tell him there's nothing to see here or whatever. And I'm like, like hell, I will. I'm not going to do right. this. I'm not going to do this. So, you know, he takes off running on foot. All right, what do I do? The only thing I know to do, I drive to the church hmm. and sit in the pastor's office with the assistant pastor and say, what now, guys? What now? What What else can I possibly do? Right. I don't even know how to pay a bill. I don't know. You know, I knew how to pay bills, but I didn't know. I didn't have access to our money. I didn't have access to our mortgage. I didn't. I, I wasn't permitted to. Right. So I'm just a mess. I'm a mess. So that's when it, we got to that final night. Um, we finally got, you know, we were in the home together and he had been on something. Um, we and barricaded us in a room for many, many hours that night. And we made it out by the skin of our teeth, barefoot and all. Went to my mom's house. And, um, you know, that's when I got the environment, the EPO the protection right. order. I took it out to the church, to the principal of the school, who was also the assistant pastor of the school and said, you know, look, this is what happened. We, I feel we're in danger. We owned a gun at that time. I said, we, I got rid of the gun. Here is the order that says he's not to come, you know, within 500 feet of me or the kids. Right. And I had it thrown back in my face and said, we we observe God's law here. Hmm. That's what we observe here. Basically telling me we're not going to keep them away. If he wants to come and see the kids, he's more than, he's he's allowed to do that. Right. And um, how that ended up, what ended up happening with that, of course, I had the protection order. He couldn't come. He was staying somewhere. I don't know where. And I was like, okay, well, it's, it's, you know, all right. So I, I ended up going back home and at that time, social services had gotten involved and um, the worker went out to interview them at the school because right. I'm telling him these things that have been going on. And he's like, I really need to check into this. This is not right. There's something not right here. After he um, went to his interview, I have no idea what was said. Uh, the next time that I met with him, he said, get them out now. He said, right. I, I'm, I'm not asking you. 
He said, I'm telling you, you need to get those kids out now. So I go early to pick them up. I was, I was ready to remove them and do all the things to get them into the public school. Um, and <laughs> that's what led up to what I call the King Kong incident. It's so funny looking back on it. It wasn't at the time. It's really not funny. I go uh, to pick them up and they saw me, you know, pull in and uh, the pastor's wife comes out and I roll down my window. May I help you? God has a message for me to give to you. I'm going to need you to come in and sit down and talk with me right now. And I, hmm. yeah, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think God is capable of giving me a message all by itself. I don't think I'm going to come in, but I really need you to do this. And so I start rolling out the window and she's literally hanging, physically hanging off the side of my van and it like King Kong. And I'm like, this woman <laughs> is crazy. Right. And so I said, let go of my car now, or I am going to drive away with you on it. And so <laughs> I ended up rolling up the window and took off. Well, I went downstairs. I drove around the parking lot, which dips down to the bottom floor where the school actually is. Right. She ran down to the bottom of where, where you enter into the basement, had both of her hands in the frame of the door and her feet spread out. Like, they're not going to let me in to have my children. Right. And we're going to, I was just beside myself. I couldn't believe right. that by then everything had, was just disassembling. I was really seeing the belly of the beast here. I'm like, oh my goodness, this, this is wrong this is bizarre something is not right here and uh so one of the other members said amanda i'm sending him upstairs so i i ran around took the car back around upstairs and she ushered them into the car and we left and the kids never went back right. um to school which was it you know all of these things kind of happened in stages and I'm just curious, yeah. what did you ever find out from the social worker what it was they saw where they were, where their recommendation was, like, go get them immediately? Did they ever have another conversation after that? Or, like, what, what freaked them out regarding school environment? You know, I, it would be interesting to speak with him again, because um, I don't really recall much that was that he confided in me about it, except that I believe he was told, as I was, that the protection order was no good there. Mm. And that may have been the sole reason. I don't right. know. Right, right. You know, okay. um, it could be other things. I'm not 100%, but that would be an interesting thing um, to find out. Uh, right. Just because just the situation as a whole, he, they, it was literally had gotten to the point where they were telling me, if you don't do this, you're complicit in abuse. And right. it's like, okay, okay, <laughs> this right. is what we're going to do then. This is how it'll go. Right. And um, I believe I had gone back after a couple of days or whatever to pick up some of their stuff um, and was heading back out into the parking lot. The pastor chased me out there, grabbed me grabbed me by the arm and told me 
Um, I just want you to know that I am a prophet of the Bible. And I had a dream that your children were being swept away in a flood. I had a dream of them dying. And I'm telling you, you do not want to leave from this umbrella of protection here. Hmm. Like you're literally destroying your family. I said, well, I'm just going to have to take that chance then and just shook my arm free and left from there. And um, which was odd to me because we had been told the prophet, you know, prophecy, prophesying and all of the miracles and and the gifts and things, all that was dead. So that didn't exist anymore. Now I have this man when we're, it's just he and I, he's telling me he's a prophet. Right. Well, that's still very powerful after 10 years, of course, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, it's all or nothing now. I mean, am I putting my children's lives in danger? And, you know, truthfully, it it was a dangerous time. It it just was. And the church was making it worse. They weren't helping with it. That's still just kind of rallying around him. And, and, you know, you, you have to make them see, make her, you know, understand. And it just, um, it was crazy. So we were harassed heavily, heavily, heavily harassed, had uh, knocks at our door all hours of the day. Um, Me and my children would be inside and I wouldn't answer. So they would stand in the front yard and scream prayers while the kids were crying inside. It was traumatic. It was just so much. It was crazy. It was just crazy. And um, so we were enduring a lot (laughs) at this time. And, you know, while we were going through that, I filed for the divorce. So the church decided they would get involved in that with the divorce as well. And um, at our first divorce hearing, I walked in with my mom to sit in front of the judge. And there were about 12 members from the church sitting on his side Hmm. with the pastor, the assistant pastor. And the judge looked at the room and he said, this is weird. What's going on here? And the pastor's like, well, we're so-and-so from this church and we're here because this, you know, this is not of God and things like that. Well, he sent them right out the door. Hmm. And they got to wait in the hallway, which I was very grateful for. But um, what it ended up, what ended up happening was social services um, wrote a letter to the church and said, if you don't stop harassing her, we're going, we're going to open a charge of harassment. They had to submit a letter to the court stating that they would leave me alone and that the only reason that they had been trying to get a hold of me was because I had all of the pastor's belongings. And by belongings, I mean all of the drawings and things that I had done for the uh, curriculum. Your work, basically. Yes, it was my work. So there was nothing about it that I had that it all belonged to me. So, you know, I, I fought that and said that I have nothing to give them is all mine. I don't have any of their equipment. And so it was like I was literally having to divorce the church through the court while I was struggling with this domestic violence issue and trying to divorce this man. And it was just, it was complete craziness. Um, I finally ended up getting a job and they would come in and 
you know, try to harass me in that way. And, you know, they tried everything (laughs) until the pastor came in one day and said, well, maybe I just failed by you. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe I shouldn't be a pastor. And I said, that's the smartest thing I think I've ever heard you say, (laughs) because you, you have no idea, you know, what, what, what all of this has caused in our lives and what it's meant to my kids and just the terrorism that came with it. And, um, he didn't like that. He was, they had to ask him to leave. Um, so, you know, it was lo and behold, a few days later, I had another member come in and say, uh, well, you know, they're going to, they're going to pray the prayer they're going to have the prayer meeting and pray the prayer of destruction on you. And I don't know, are you familiar with that? Have you heard about that? Um, like, um, well, I don't think so. I don't think so specifically. Yeah. Well, there's a verse about, I believe it's new Testament. Um, don't quote me. I don't, it's, it was a long time ago <laughs> about when someone is so obstinate, we just pray and hand them, hand them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Hmm. And that was the threat. They were going to pray this prayer for, on me. And um like, okay, um, you know, I, I can't help that. That It is what it is. Lo and behold, after I hear that, after the pastor tells me that my kids are, you know, going to die, my son ends up in the hospital for two weeks with an unexplained illness. Um, we thought we were going to lose him in the first week. Hmm. And um, they still don't know. I mean, they never found out exactly what was wrong with him. They um, believed they were leading toward a tick-borne illness. We had spent a lot of time hiking. So after all of that coming into my, you know, all of that brainwashing and all of that you know, telling me for so long that I was tearing my family apart and we were going to die and, you know, God hates divorce and all this came crashing down on me. And I'm like, I, I, I'm afraid I'm going to be responsible for, for this, you know, something bad happening to my kids. And, um, it was just so traumatic, the whole thing. I mean, even thinking back on it now, I'm maybe seven years removed from all of that. And um, it still rears its ugly head some days, you know, right. and it's it's a trauma that I get very angry sometimes because I'm like, you should be over this stuff by now, but you don't right. get over it overnight, you know. So um, it, it's. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, like, is it have you noticed a lasting impact on your kids as well? Or has it been. Do you feel like, I don't know what age they were when all of this happened with the school, um, but, but how has that affected them, being within it and then leaving? That, um, it's it's a very long, hard road to recovery. Right. Um, my, my sons were the oldest, they're twins. Um, they're 22 now. Um, they both struggle with all sorts of things. They've had counseling. Um, they've had issues with PTSD, 
with, and of course, this is in conjunction with the things that were happening at home. Right. So, um, you know, they, they're, they're doing good despite, you know, all that they've had to overcome and come through, but it has definitely, um, put a, uh, I don't know, it's kind of stunted their progress in just growing up and, you know, it's not just getting out on your own and living life. It's, we were in this bubble for so long and we had to learn everything, you know, and, and it was like you were experiencing a new world and just all of that combined was just, you know, and I would have people, well-meaning, well-meaning people tell me, you know, kids are resilient, they'll, they'll get through it. And I'm just, well, yes, you know, heaven help, we will get through it, but my goodness, they've struggled. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one more than the other. He was um, singled out a lot at home and at school um, because he was the one that dared to ask the questions. And he was the one that, you know, was just, I don't know that he was completely um, bought into it, you know. So he received a lot of the punishment. And the other one was more, I'm just going to go along with the flow and, and keep peace the best I can. Um, so that's kind of where it is with my sons right now. Um, but overall, I mean, they're, they're doing really well. They have a place together and they're, they're working and doing, doing good. And then there's my daughter. Um, she's 16 now. Um, I think it's been the hardest for her, um, because bless her heart, we, we got away and because she was the shared child, um, with him, she didn't. She still to this day goes back and forth and back and forth between the two of us, even after all of the turmoil and all of the things that were brought before the court and, and just the unhealthy, you know, lifestyle and things that she had to deal with. Um, we're st- she's still forced to, to right. deal with that today. And, um, been a very difficult road for her but I'm so proud of her you know I I try to make our home very open you you talk to me about anything here this is a safe space this is what I strive for this is you know this is the place that you can say anything and you know and I, I feel like she has finally learned to trust that so she's talking she's opening up and she's you know I don't want to impress any type of spirituality on them. I just feel like we are all so spiritually wounded, even still today, that it would be difficult for me to even give them a direction to go in. And, you know, but, but the reality is there's a fear with that that goes along with that too. You know, because I'm like, well, I'm I'm doubting this. I'm worried about that. I, I don't know. You know, it's just I feel right. like we're in a, for lack of a better term, like a purgatory or something. Like we just don't. We're not. We're not really in any kind of direction spiritually. We're not going anywhere. Right. Um. So that's uh, been a difficult part of that. It for me as well. You know, because he, um. She has to go back to her father and things like that. And 
he's not really associated with that church anymore, but he's still holy rolling, even though he's not a devout member anywhere. A lot of stuff gets pressed on her about, you know, you're not godly enough. You're not doing this enough. So she's still, still hearing these things. And it's, um, and very difficult for her to a point where she had a mental break with it, you know, and that's, that's another thing, you know, with this, with these churches and stuff, it's, if you step back and you think about the role of a pastor or a leader, you know, you could say one thing and that one thing means a thousand different things to a thousand different people. Right. You really need to be taking that seriously. And I just, feel like it was so ego-driven and so self-serving in so many ways that it just, you did not handle with care. And and I'm, and I, it makes me very angry because, you know, now we're suffering with these issues and, and not knowing, you know, how to handle that because I feel in my heart that God, there is a loving God. It's, it's hard for my children to see that now because, right. you know, Especially with my daughter, you know, being, it's, it's a, it's used as a billy club. She's beat up with it. You know, it's, it's just, it's so um, malignant. And, you know, she goes down there every other weekend to see him and stuff and comes back. And, you know, on a good day, even, you know, it's something is even mentioned of God. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want anything to do with that. And so... In a nutshell, there's, there, you, of course, you know, there, there's so much more that could be added. Um, yeah. That's kind of just the story there with me. And the, and the reason um, I'm kind of selfish for wanting to talk about it is, number one, I just feel like I need to say it. I need to say what happened, you know. Right. And number two, I, I just feel that if there's ever, you know, just a woman out there that's just terrified and afraid God's going to hate her. Or God, you know, these, these awful things are going to happen. Yes. We had fallout from, from escaping, but I wouldn't trade it for anything because I love, love, love my life now. Right. I, you know, I just, it's better than we ever could have hoped for. It's, 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 and the further I get away from it, the more I see the mental hold that that had on me. And how these tools were skillfully used to keep me in a certain spot for as long as it did. And, and whether they're aware that they're doing it or not, I mean, sometimes I, I, I can't, I, you know, I think about some people I think really had an honest heart and wanted to be there and try to do the right thing, even in leadership. And some of them I'm not so sure about. It, it was almost like, it was a power thing. It was a control thing. And it, 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 it seemed like I recognized it because I saw that at home so much. And I'm like, Oh, this is kind of the same thing here right. that's happening. And, um, that's, uh, really kind of just, that, that's our story of how we came to be in it. You know, I feel like um, we were heavily targeted once they found out how vulnerable we were. And I think that's a thing that I noticed through the years with families around our community. It was like the more 
dire straits the family was in, the, the, the harder they would hit to try to pull them in and, and do these things, which made me, you know, question, is this, this is like really manipulative. This is very powerful what they're doing here. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was some of what happened with us. And, you know, I know stories of other people in our church, um, things that had happened to them. There was a friend of mine. Um, this was before I had gotten to the church. Um, I met her through church. She had been raped at the church in the basement by another member mm-hmm. and was just basically, you know, encouraged by the leadership to you know, this is your brother in Christ. We don't need to call and report or anything. So it was an unreported crime, you know, that that happened in the basement of this place that we called a church. And, you know, there just incident after incident there, you know, there was a time we brought another family in and it was, you know, they seemed nice enough. Um, Yet we're sitting in our home one night and we see the father of that family on the news and he had been um, on the run. He was wanted in Arizona for two counts of, uh, I believe it was child molestation. And this man had been interacting with my children for months. The church knew about it. Nobody said anything to us. And that was just it. It was like, it's the almighty man. It's 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 just all about the men, and what's sad, you know, it's it's sad. It's sad to me because I, I love men, and I think there's really really good men in the world, and that was just such a gross, you know, right. misrepresentation of what men are to be, and you know, it's just things like that, the cover-ups and the things that you don't, you know, you, you don't want to know. It was really like exposing you know, all of these things. And I found out recently with that particular church that they, um, the uh, pastor's son-in-law who has taken over as the assistant pastor since we've left was caught embezzling over $30,000 from the school. And (laughs) so the, the answer to that was that you know, the pastor came before the congregation and it's all about forgiveness and we need to pay this debt back on his behalf. And so, I'll, you know, extend all this love. Well, the school was shut down because of that. Not that I'm hmm. too terribly upset about that, but it's right. just, it's like corruption after corruption. And, and, you know, all of these things that maybe if it were one thing over the course of so many years, it would be an isolated incident, but putting it all together, it is something very, like I said before, it's malignant and it's, it's damaging. It's damaging people. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I appreciate you sharing all of that. And, and I, I know that the, the process, I mean, especially after 10 years of, of going through that kind of situation, that recovery process isn't something that's going to happen overnight. And so I, I'm wishing you the best and and your family the best as you guys keep pushing forward and and like you said, getting further removed from it and um you know I think what you said 
throughout the episode is super helpful for you mentioned already, and it was something I wanted to ask you is what you would say to someone sitting in a church like that. And I think you answer that so wonderfully is that there is something outside of this movement. There is, there is a chance to really love life, even though the people within are probably telling you constantly, it's horrible. Everyone out there is against you. Everyone hates you except for us. And so I think, I think you shared some really, really powerful information. Um, I, I, I end every episode with this question and I'm curious to hear your answer. And it seems like you've alluded to it a little bit, but do you think, do you think that what you experienced was an anomaly? Do you think that it's something kind of foundational in the teaching of these churches? And I guess ultimately, do you believe there's reform possible within the IFB movement as a whole? Mm. I, that's, that's a good question. Um, I may have to think about that for a minute. I don't think what we experienced um, is exclusive to where we were. Right. Um, it's the idea of, or it's, I guess it's, it's the hierarchy. It's not even a hierarchy, really. It's, it's one man that surrounds himself with a bunch of yes men. He answers to no one. He answers to no committee. You know, it's hard to say that there can be reform when there's no accountability to anyone. And when you're disagreeing with the pastor, um, AKA God's man, you can't, you're disagreeing with God because it really is kind of like the equivalent there because, you know, it's, we have to support him no matter what, what he says is law. That to me is very cult-like and just in and of itself. And, you know, that was, that was the concern that my parents had for so many years, you know, when I was being, when I was just out, from away from them is, you know, and my dad just, I'm worried. This is a cult. This is a cult. Right. And it, it even took me several years to even consider, Oh, come right. on. It says Baptist on the sign. It's not <laughs> right. a cult. Right. You know, which is, you know, pretty, pretty interesting because I, I would venture to say that a lot of people think, well, it's just a Baptist church. Let's right. go give it a try. Let's go see. Um, but just the non not being able to question the authority on top of what they would say is separation from the world. Um, I don't know that they're, I don't know. It's just the doctrine itself. It's so, you know, the dogma is so strict. I don't know that you could, you know, employ that and not have similar results just all across the board. That's just my opinion of it. Yeah, like I said, I really, I really appreciate your perspective, and I, you know, I, I hate that you had to go through the the things that you did, but I really appreciate you sharing it. And I mean, that takes a lot of courage, and I know that it's going to be, like you said, it's it's not really an anomaly, and it's sad that I know with every episode I put out, there's three or four people that reach out to me with you know mm-hmm. saying that story reminds me of my story. And, um, but I'm, I'm really glad that these stories are getting out there and giving people 
just that knowledge that they're not alone and that they can, you know, that there is hope outside of it. And, you know, it's, I, I've said it on previous episodes, but I hope there's people listening who are sneaking these episodes and like are being told they shouldn't listen to stuff like this and are able okay. to do it and hear that, oh, there is an escape route and there is an escape plan. Um, yes. And you don't die. And, 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 right. and, quite the opposite you you actually begin to live and even though it's still difficult i mean it's still i'm just so thankful you know right because in a way it it really kind of catapulted me into you know artistically into so many different things and and being so open with my children you know instead of just being overridden with guilt all the time about being a terrible mother now it's you know what we're, we're in this together and we're going to be open and we're, you're safe with me always. And that is, has been a beautiful thing in our family and um, something that my children have needed was a safe place. Well, that's so awesome. And I, and I'm, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm hoping you guys the best on that journey and, and getting to really experience life for the, really the first time, which is, which is really awesome. And, I, I appreciate you taking time to sit down and talk with me. And I know this episode is going to be sure. really helpful to a lot of people. So Yeah. And thank you. Thank you for the work you're doing. I think it's wonderful. I am encouraged and can't wait, like I said, to listen to, to more. So absolutely. No, I, I, re- I really, that. really appreciate that. It means a lot to me. Thank you for listening to the preacher boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, Please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. What's up, guys? I hope that episode was super encouraging to you. If you appreciate the perspective that I bring to this show, you want to check out my other show, The Good Story Podcast. I'm sitting down and having thought-provoking discussions with content creators, brand experts, and artists who offer a peek behind the curtain at their unique storytelling process. You can find the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy listening to podcasts. Plus, don't forget to join the conversation on social by simply searching for the handle at GoodStoryPod. That's at Good story, P-O-D. You guys are not going to want to miss it. I've got two great interviews on there already. I've got one with author, activist, and just all around creative, Rashina Finisi. And she talks about how she's leveraged her creative abilities to raise awareness about organ transplantation in regards to children. And then in episode two, I sit down with Casey Levins, who is a videographer, who talks about uh, some really interesting ways that he's grown as a videographer and how he's increased his business by doing a lot of work for free and ambushing his dream clients with his creativity. Uh, You guys are not going to miss the episode. So if you enjoy the perspective I bring to Preacher Boys, definitely check out the Good Story Podcast. I'll see you over there or back here on the next episode. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.